Thanks for joining us today at Springwell Church, where we want to draw spiritually thirsty people to Jesus by loving God, loving each other, and loving the world. We hope that today's message builds you up, gives you a little insight, and helps you find a brand new perspective. You can find us in Taylor, South Carolina, and online at springwell.org. That's springwell.org. Now let's jump into the message. So in case you missed last week, um, we're looking at the book of New Testament book of First Peter, and we're seeing how God is calling us as followers of Jesus to be different. To be different. Maybe the biggest obstacle for so many of us to be faithful to God's call to be different is our desire to fit in. But God didn't call us to fit in, He called us to stand out. And when I say stand out, when I say be different, I'm not talking about just a dress code. Now, way back when I was a kid, it was all about a dress code. It was about wearing, you know, your best to, to Sunday, you know, to, to church on Sunday. It was, about, it was about suits and it was about ties. It was about white shirts. It was about a certain kind of haircut. You had to cut your hair a certain way. All Christians, people that really loved Jesus, had certain kind of haircuts. And so we were supposed to go out into the world and people were to look at us and go, wow, you, you guys are Christians. That is not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about that at all. Now, I am saying that as Christians, we should be modest in how we dress. Hello? Y'all with me? Y'all know what that means? I think you do. I don't think I have to, have to uh, elaborate on that. But what I am talking about is that actually what we do that's different than what anybody else does is that we love the world differently. Is that we love the world, we embrace the world, that we're merciful and gracious to a world that needs to understand, to see in real life what the love of God fleshes out in a, on, a, on a day-to-day basis in real life. Hello? Are y'all with me? So the question I would want to ask is, why would, why would we want to fit in and be normal anyway? I mean, have you looked around and, and seen what normal is? Normal is broke. I mean, that's like across the board with most everybody you talk to. It really doesn't matter how much that person makes. No matter how much you make, it seems like we're always broke. You get a raise, you spend that, you're still broke. <clears throat> normal is Here's the word I wrote. Normal is bondage. And if I'm got level honest, what really that the word, and I struggle with this word, it's addiction. Normal is addiction. And some of you are probably thinking right now, you're real feeling really self-righteous right now. Well, I messed up, but at least I'm not addicted to anything. And I would say, really? Are you sure? Because it seems like most everybody I talk to is addicted to something. Some people that I know are addicted to themselves, but they are addicted. And so it becomes all about them. They live in their little world, and everything has to pertain to them. It has to be for their betterment, for their good. Are y'all with me? Am I getting a little nosy? Normal is fear. Everybody's afraid. Everybody's afraid. Turn on 6 o'clock news, people are afraid. Is it come on at 6? 5 o'clock. Turn on 5 o'clock. They want to get it out earlier now. And can I be honest with you? 
Every Christian I talk to is consumed with fear. And they'll look at me, oh, but have you seen the condition of our world? I said, what are you afraid of? Like, has God stopped being God? Has he stopped being in control? Is he not the creator of the heavens and the earth? Is God still not God? Is, anything, is he any less God today than he's ever been? The answer is no, but it seems like that we, even as a church, even as Christians, have some, somehow gotten consumed with, and even for us, normal is fear. Normal is tension. Walk into a room, man, you feel the tension? <laughs> you feel a little bit right now? Ooh, he's meddling today. Normal is sleepless nights. How'd you sleep last night? Oh, man, I didn't sleep good. How come? Got stuff on my mind. Normal is anxiety. That's what normal is. Normal is being selfish. And if you don't think I'm telling the truth, just go on whatever social media platform thing you got out there. You know, I mean, Facebook, Tic Tac, you know, whatever it is, just do your thing. And, and I'm telling you, people... People are, it's all about them. And the reason we're so angry, the reason that we're so upset is because things aren't going our way. And we're angry when we go to a restaurant and they don't have enough servers to take care of us. We're angry when we go to the gas pumps and, and the prices seem to be going up. And some of you would say, oh, the prices are coming down. I know people that are angry because the price is coming down. You know why? Oh, it's one of them election years. I'm telling you. I know what's going on. The Democrats, Right? I think you people can't be happy. So let me ask you this question. How, how, is, how is normal? How is fitting in? How is it working for us? I don't know about you, but I went off the normal road. I don't want to be normal. I don't want to be a normal Christian. I don't, I don't, want, to be, I don't want to be a normal church member. I don't want Springwell to be a normal church. I want us to be different. So with that as our background, let's jump into uh, where we finished off last week in 1 Peter chapter 1. And we're gonna, <laughs> I wrote this. I still think it's funny. I said, we're going to begin in verse 13. We're not getting out of verse 13. And we're just going to be in verse 13 the whole time. Maybe it made me feel good to think maybe we'll move along. We're not. It's just pretty much going to be verse 13. And I'm going to start off with the NIV because it uses this really, really important word that I just want you to see. And it's a transition word. It's, it's a connection word. So here we go. Verse 13, the very first word is the word therefore. That's the connection word. That's the transition word, therefore. So any time, for those of you that love to study the Bible, any time you're in the word and you see the word therefore, you always have to look back to see why, what, what the therefore is there for. You can't get this anywhere else, I'm telling you. It's deep. And in this case, he's saying, because everything that I just told you in these 12 verses, and because everything that I just told you is true, here's what I want you to do. Because this is true, here's what to do. I told Jonathan, we all put it on a t-shirt. Because this is true, here's what to do on the back. I don't know. So what's Peter been telling us? What has he been telling us? Well, in case you missed last week, He's been talking to Christians, and, and I wrote this word, hurting, and that word doesn't really, it doesn't really describe it. It really doesn't. Hurting, that's, that's, that's too tame. So I went on, I said, he's talking to Christians who are going through some dark times, and that doesn't really describe it either. And I don't want to go back and rehash last week, but I literally, I'm not kidding you, you're talking to Christians that were being put to death. 
And they weren't just being put to death like in a gas chamber. They weren't being, you know, some needles shoved into their arm. These were people who were being burned at the stake. They were being burned alive. Are y'all with me? Just to light the garden of Nero, just for pure entertainment purposes. And he, he got joy out of watching these Christians suffer. And so there, there were families that were losing family members. There were moms and dads that were dying, children. Well, could you imagine a mom that's watching her child burn alive as a human candle for the garden of Nero? Could you imagine that? That's what these people are going through. And, and here's what he knows. Here's what Peter knows. He knows that what they don't need is what they want. Let me say that one more time. He knows that what, what they don't need is the very thing that they want. Now, I would say that when I'm hurting, and I wrote this, again, I think I'm funny. I laugh at myself. I'm at home laughing out loud. You just got to know that. Sometimes I bend over. I, I think I'm so funny. And so I said, I said this, I said, I would say that I'm hurting most most of the time, when I'm hurting most of the time, and I think that's funny because when I'm hurting, it's all the time. All the time, what I want, what I want is for God to take away the pain. And I don't think I'm weird. I think you're just like me. Anybody else? Some of you love pain. We got a class for you somewhere. I mean, you need to show up on Thursday night. You are messed up. We don't like pain, do we? So, we? so when we're followers of Jesus, when we start to go through difficult times, when we're, when we're grieving, when we're hurting, when life is overwhelming, the thing I think that most of us pray for is, God, just take away the pain. <clears throat> but most of the time, what I, what I want is not what I need. And what I need, this is huge, what I need <clears throat> is to see, to understand that I have to, I am a part, I am a part of something that is bigger. What I need to see, what God needs to show me through my pain is that I'm a part of something that's bigger than me, something that's bigger than my pain, it's bigger than my hurt, it's, big, it's bigger than life on planet Earth. For those of us that are followers of Jesus, we have a much, much greater call. Just say it. Here's what he said in verse 6, if you were here last week, 1 Peter 1, verse 6. He said, in all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. In other words, here's the thing that he said. He's, he hammered his home. He says, you know what, God, God may not make these temporary trials go away. It may not get... In fact, Peter would have said, you know what, here's the thing. I can't promise you that suffering, this suffering that you're going through right now, I can't promise you that it's going to go away. I can't promise that things are going to get better. I can't promise you that Nero is going to change. I can't promise that God will take him out. I cannot promise you that maybe we'll share Jesus with him and somehow he'll give his life to Jesus and that his life will be radically changed. I cannot promise you that. Life may not get better. And so if God doesn't take away the pain, how in the world, how in the world do we survive? And then I wrote this word because I think it's critical. There's more to the Christian life than survival. What God wants for us is, is more than just to survive the difficult time. For the grief to pass, for the hurt to pass, for the pain to go away. It's more than that. God wants us, listen, to survive and thrive in the middle of it all. Oh, you didn't hear me. Survive and he wants us, his desire for us is to thrive. 
through the pain. But we have to see the greater context. What we want is to be talked off the ledge quitting. That's what I want. I remember when I was in seminary, I got really discouraged. I mean, I was overwhelmed with discouragement. and Times were hard. Karen and I couldn't pay the bills, and she was working, you know, 50 hours a week. And we first were there. She was pregnant with Emily, and, and she still had to get up and go to work every day, and times were hard. I was working three jobs. I was working before school. I was working in between classes, and I worked after school. And I remember when I worked after school, I, I remember I worked at a grocery store. That was one of my jobs. And I remember these little old ladies would come up to me, and they would say, Sir, could you approve my check? And I'd say, Ma'am, I'm nothing but a glorified bag boy. That's all I am. I can't approve anything for you. And then I would leave the grocery store, and I would go to another job, and I, it was a cleaning job. And so I worked my way up, and I went from, I went from cleaning one floor to, to two floors to a half of another floor and of a three-story building. I had the whole building except for part of it. And I would drive home sometimes in the, in the middle of the night, sometimes at 2 o'clock in the morning. And i got to be honest with you, I would be overwhelmed. Couldn't pay the bills. I knew that when I pulled up to a gas pump that I had to put it on the credit cards because we didn't have any money in the bank. I wanted to quit. I remember I called a buddy of mine. He was the dean of admissions at Gardner-Webb College, Gardner-Webb University. And I remember I called him and I said, Randy, this is Scott. I said, buddy, I need a job. He said, okay. I said, what? <laughs> no, I don't want a job. I mean, I really don't want a job. I mean, he said, I'll give you a job. Here's what I'll start you at. I'll tell you what, I'll give you a car. I'll give you gas. I mean, really, I'm telling you, I mean, I'll load you up. I said, whoa, 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 whoa. Come on, dude. What I want, I want to be coddled a little bit, you know? I mean, talk me off the ledge. That's what I want. I want you to tell me how great I am. I said, man, God's hands on you, brother. The anointing of God, the Holy Spirit is going to use you to change the world. That's what I wanted to hear. He said, ah, you called him the wrong day, but I'll give you a job. But maybe what we need is not coddling. Maybe what we need is a greater call. He pivots, therefore. Therefore, through all this pain, through all this hurt, through all the suffering that you're going through, prepare your minds for action. That's the NIV. Prepare your minds for action. I want to show you the NLT, the New Living Translation. It says, so prepare your minds for action. So. That word seems to be a little bit more relevant, right? So, I use that word a lot, don't I? I don't know if you notice. I notice. I use that word a lot. So, because of everything I just said, so, prepare your mind for actions. He's saying that we need to think differently than the world thinks. We need to have a greater context. Let me show you the new King James. I know some of you will love that, right? I mean, how many people love, love King James Version? Some of you go, I don't even know what that is. That's okay. So let me show you the New King James Version of this verse. It says, therefore, you're going to love this. Gird up the loins of your mind. Now, how many people know this? I know what that means. I got that. Like, I did that this morning, you know. Girded up the loins of my mind on the way to church today, you know. I mean, it really doesn't make sense. So what does it mean in this context? Well, you have to understand the culture. And to understand the culture, people that he was writing to, they wore togas. They wore these long, flowing robes with belts. And, and all their garments were super long and baggy. And so here's the thing. So if they, if they had a need, that they had to run. I don't know if that's running from somebody. I just got this out of a commentary. But if they needed to run for whatever purpose, whatever reason, if they had that big, baggy robe on, it would really just impede their progress. 
they couldn't run. They would, they would trip and fall. So what they would do is they would reach down and they would take that robe and they would, they would pull it up and they would stick it down into that belt. And so if they were, had, if they were you know, manual laborers and so they needed to have some kind of freedom, you know, they needed to squat, they needed to, I don't know, kick people, I don't, whatever you do, you know, manual labor-wise, then what you would do is you would reach down, you would take that robe and you would stick it down in that, in that belt and that was what they called girding up your loins. They freed them up so that they could, so that they could move. And so you're thinking... What does that mean to me? Here's what he's saying. This is critical. He's saying that mentally we need to gather up, we need to deal with the things that could be dragging us down. The things that could trip us up, the things that could impede our forward progress. You need to gird up the loins of your mind. So so what kind of stinking thinking do you have right now that's impeding your forward progress? And I prayed through this this week, and I didn't have anything here for a while, for a long while. And actually, I wrote this months ago. And, and, and so I remember even then, Lord, so what is it? And, and so as I processed, maybe because of the stuff I went through this weekend, as I processed, I thought, you know what? I'm, do you feel worthless? Is that part of the stinking thinking that you have? Because when you start off and you feel worthless, i got to be honest with you, it will stop you dead in your tracks in every area of life because you're convinced, I'm going to fail anyway. Relationships. Maybe some of you just go to one bad relationship after the other, after the other, after the other, and you know what? You've convinced yourself. You say, you know what? I'm just a failure at relationships. So the next one, how can I expect the next one? to be any different. I'm an addict. I've always been an addict. I talked to someone this weekend who said to me, he said, you know what, I've, I've been a crack addict for 35 years. That's just crack. 35 years. He said, I'm sick and tired of letting everybody down. I am just a drug addict. That's all I am. You understand what I'm saying? That he has this, this, this whole mentality, this process of thinking for him has got him weighed down. He cannot move forward. He's stuck. He's been stuck at least for 35 years with no hope. I always struggle with finances. I've always struggled with finances. Therefore, I will always Struggle with finances. What lies are impeding your progress? What's tripping you up? What's got you stuck? Then in the New King James, it says this, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. This is a good Springwell word. He says, sober, be sober. So reach down. Reach down. All this, this stuff that's impeding your progress. You can't move forward mentally. You can't move forward emotionally. You can't move forward relationally. You can't, you can't move forward spiritually because you bought the lies from Satan. You cannot move forward. He said, so here's what I want you to do. I want you to reach down. I want you to take all of those lies. I want you to gird those things up, and then I want you to be sober-minded. And it doesn't relate strictly to alcohol or drugs. He's talking about a place where you have mental clarity. 
That's what he's referring to. It's a place where, it's a place where you can prepare your mind for action and exercise self-control. You can't exercise self-control. You will have no self-control until, until you're thinking clearly, until you're, you're focused, until you're aware, until you're not fuzzy, until you're clear-headed and not hindered by your thought processes. So how are you going to follow Jesus and be different? You've got to think differently. Now, this next part, you have no idea how I labor sometimes just over the words that I use. And I wanted to use some spiritual stuff. It would just sound better. We're in church on Sunday morning. You know what I'm saying? Win the battle of your mind. Doesn't that sound awesome? But let me tell you what I came up with. And the Holy Spirit was honestly, he was, he was so, so pointed that I used these words. Mental health. We need to, to win the war with our mental health. Are y'all with me? We've got to think differently. So how do I prepare my mind for action and exercise self-control? We have to choose to fight for mental health. And in order to do that, it's going to mean making sure that we're getting the quiet that we need. Psalm 46. God speaking, he said, I want you to be still. I want you to be quiet. I want you to steal away somewhere. I want you to drown out the noise of the world. I want you to get some, somewhere. I want you to be very, very still. And when you're still and when you're quiet and when you focus on me, then you will know that I am absolutely God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, and I'm going to meet with you, and I'm going to bring radical change to your normal life. It's easy. Y'all know where I'm going, right? You could, you could preach this part. We have to be aware of this steady stream of technology. The constant noise of television and social media. And I, and I just want you to know I'm right there with you. I, I don't do the social media thing. I, you know, I, yeah, I know. Y'all laugh at me. I say tic-tac, and I laugh. I think it's funny because I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't even know how you get an account. Insta who? I, I thought it was Insta Pot. I thought that was... A cooker or something. I, I got nothing. Facebook, the only thing I can tell you about Facebook is Marketplace, which I personally think is awesome. It's God's gift to the bargain shopper. And I got to be honest with you, some, sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes when I'm studying, sometimes it's got to be deathly quiet. I don't want anybody around, and I'll steal away, and I'm all by myself. And other times, it's just weird. Like, I'll cut the television on. I don't even know what's on. I don't care what's on. It's just to have some kind of background noise. I think we live in that state of having this background noise, the constant noise of tel t uh, television and social media. I think it's way too easy to get lost in negativity, and then here's the word, and death negativity and death of all the media that's at our fingertips. And it's at our fingertips. You can't help yourself, can you? When you I, people get on Facebook, you can't help it. You go from that and then, and then oh, that was that cool little comment. And, then you, and that takes you to somewhere else and that takes you somewhere else and it takes you somewhere else. And before long, you've spent hours lost in the noise. 
and it brings death. So I got to gather up. I've got. I've got to reach. I got to gather up all the noise that's impeding my progress, and I got to get it out of my life. I got to be in the Word. I know. I know. I'm, you know, people look at me when I tell them what time I get up in the morning and what time I start my day with Jesus, and people look at me as though I'm weird. And I always think every time I tell people that, I honestly don't think I'm telling you that I'm being super spiritual. I'm telling you that I'm super weak. That's what I'm telling you. I'm not telling you that I'm super strong. I'm telling you that I'm super weak. And I'm telling you that if I don't start my day with Jesus, if I start my day with social media, if I started my day with something else, if I listened to the, to the news, when the news came on, if I listened to that, I wouldn't be able to function. And so, and then when I listen to that, I look at that, I think, what difference am I making in the world? Somehow, I have the ability to bring it all back to me, and it's all my fault, and I'm the failure. When I make my day, when I start my day with Jesus, you know what happens? He reaches down through his word, and he lifts me up. He brings me encouraging verses that just, I go, whoo, that's what I'm talking about. My daddy said, sometimes, I literally, I go, whoo, you know. I got to do it, woo. I mean, Karen's still in the bed. You know what I mean? I don't want to wake her up. And, and sometimes, sometimes I send, you know, I, so I do a couple different devotions because uh, I'm weird. And so I find a couple different things. Sometimes I will send just those things because I just want somebody else to hear what I just heard. And be encouraged, not discouraged. Because I know that we live in a world and we have these competing noises. They're speaking death. I'm telling you, they're speaking death. Say whatever you want to call You call it whatever you want to. Speaking death. i got to be talking to God every single day. Does God convict me of sin? Absolutely he does. But my father is such a loving, kind father, he can convict me of sin and lift me up out of the miry pit all at the same time. He's so loving. He's so kind. He's so gentle. Even in his convicting, I feel his mercy and his grace and his love. He's so good. Jonathan and I were talking the other day. I text. We're, we're talking about that very thing. God's been pointing out some stuff. You didn't tell me what your junk was, by the way. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I got to be spending time with him every single day. I'm just telling you that we need quiet time alone with God every single day to survive and to thrive. If you're not going to thrive. You may survive, but you won't thrive. Not without him. So I got to ask you the question. So are, are you mentally strong? How are you doing? Are you taking the time to assess and diagnose your personal state of being? And, and i got to be honest, I, I, do, I have to do that. I found myself this weekend. I, I just did. I found myself this weekend. I said a couple things to my beautiful, loving, compassionate. Okay, I'm thinking compassionate. Maybe that's not the word to describe Patient. She's so patient. And she's so patient with me, and I found myself. It's not what I said. It's how I said it. And you know what? Immediately, I did a gut check, and I thought, well, whoa, where's that coming from? You're not angry at her. I'm angry at a situation that I can't control. I can't fix. I wanted to come to her rescue, and I couldn't. I couldn't fix the problem. Do you have people in your life? Do you have a spouse that will say, huh? I've just noticed it lately. Have you built a community of people around you that you trust? 
people that will love you, oh my gosh, will be as merciful and gracious to you as you've ever been in your whole life. But at the same time, love you enough to ask you, man, how are you doing? I've just noticed lately. Are you okay? You need to talk about it. What can I do? How have your thoughts been lately? And then honestly, I have to say this. You have no idea the burden that I felt for this message. Some people may need professional help. And you need to hear me to say that that's okay. It's okay. I think for a long time the conversation in church, and I know some of you are not going to hear this. Just hang on. Stay with me. I think for a long time the conversation in church was just all about the spiritual side of things. Just Jesus. Just Jesus. All you need is Jesus. All you need is Jesus. Well, duh. Just pray. You just need to pray. Well, have you been using Scripture when you pray? Well, how long have you been praying? I mean, have you, have you been starting off your day with prayer? You old sinner? How do you expect God to work? And you're waiting the lunchtime to pray. Well, then just be in the Word. I mean, are you in the Word? Are you in? So here, listen, listen to me. All you need is more, 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 more. And if you're not getting better, it's your fault. And that's why, you know, the church can make I can feel better about myself right now, see. Are you praying enough? Well, you know, see, if you will, you're not praying long enough, and you're not reading enough, and you're not in the Word enough. You're not listening to enough online messages, and you're not, you're not in praise and worship enough. So it's all your fault. And let me ask you something. When somebody's struggling with schizophrenia, do you think that helps them? Somebody that's overwhelmed with depression, and they can't get themselves out of that deep, dark pit, do you think that helps? No. Now, I know I lost some of you, probably. Do I believe that God can heal anyone with anything at any time? I absolutely do. This is going to shock some of you. We're Southern Baptist Church. Some of you, I, I remember saying that one time, and the guy said, dude, if I'd known that, I'd never come the first time. Like, then I heard another Southern Baptist say, well, you don't like, like no Southern Baptist I ever saying, I think, you're going to kick us out? I mean, what are you saying? We've had people healed right here in this place. No, it wasn't a healing service. I didn't do anything down here. The band, and there was just a time of praise and worship. A lady got somewhere right back over there. She got healed. I mean, I'm not kidding you. It was miraculous. And it's a Springwell fashion. You should have heard the way she described it to me with a few words that. And I, and I just, I thought, this is awesome. Do I believe God can heal? Absolutely, I believe that he can heal. But if he doesn't, and sometimes he doesn't, then perhaps medical help is one thing that may get you what you need on this side of heaven. I'm just saying if you need help, get help. If you're hurting, tell somebody. Please tell somebody. If you're having scary thoughts, please tell somebody. Okay, I don't want to say this out loud. It just doesn't feel good. I didn't write this. If you're having suicidal thoughts, tell somebody. Please tell somebody. We love you. We we want you in this world. We need you in this world. I can promise you that we need you in this world. We need you alive. I can look at you and promise you on the authority of God's Word that God has a purpose for your life. Even though now you may not see it, you may not believe it, I can promise you on the authority of His Word that He has a purpose for your life.
Let me say this. This is the good news. Everyone who's a follower of Jesus gets healed eventually. Just so you know. There, there's no bipolar disorder in heaven. I walk through these. You know, there's no schizophrenia in heaven. There's no depression in heaven. There's not going to be any anxiety attacks in heaven. And you know what popped into my head when I said all that? I said, so there's going to be a pharmacy in heaven. There's no Walgreens on the corner. No CVS. You don't have to have your card. You know, to go in, sir, do you have a CVS card? Well, as a matter of fact, I do. I can save that 1%. So we don't exclude the power of the Holy Spirit, the blood of Jesus, and the name of Jesus, but God may use other means to bring healing. I'm just saying that we have to gird up, we have to gather up, process all the things that are dragging us down mentally, that are dragging us down physically, that are dragging us down spiritually. We've got to get help. Let me tell you why this is important. This is important because I'll tell you what I've learned about me, that my natural tendency is to drift toward disorder. That's my natural tendency. Y'all probably way, way, way more spiritual than me, probably way more positive than me, but I'm telling you, my natural tendency is to drift, drift toward being unhealthy. That's my, that's my drift. If I don't pay attention to my diet, he said, is he? Trying to make sure you don't say that back fat right there. I, I've learned that, that one, one bad eating day can turn into two. So Friday night, I had a bad eating night. It was awesome. <laughs> I had fried shrimp. Woo! I'm getting hungry right now thinking about it. Calabash chicken. It was greasy. I mean, there was a coating in my mouth. You know what I'm talking about? I had to drink water to drink tea, but, oh, if I'd have put sugar and that grease together, there'd have been an explosion, I'm pretty sure. It was so good that I, I took that into Saturday. And I'm thinking this afternoon is going to be pretty awesome. <laughs> listen, listen, I will drift toward disorder. I will, dr I will drift toward unhealthy. And what I know is if I don't get that in check, I know that three days will turn into a week and a week will turn into a month and it'll be six months later and I'll turn around and go, oh my gosh, what happened? I have to be sober-minded. I got to watch. I got to be diligent to gather up and to be sober and to get the help that I need if I'm going to move forward. Then he says this, oh my gosh, I'm going to finish up and wrap up with this. This is awesome. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, he says, set your hope. In order to, to think differently, in order to think differently, you got to set your hope. Then he tells you what to set it on, okay? He says, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Christ Jesus is revealed at his coming. So, so what does that mean exactly? Well, first of all, it, it, I mean, obviously it means that we have hope off in the distance. We have heaven. Heaven, we can't wrap our brains around that, right? I mean, it, it, it's, it's sweet. It's a big, big deal. Heaven is awesome. And if you live to be 100 years here, if we live to be 100 years old, and that's really, really old, but if you live to be 100, what is that compared to 1,000 years? What is that compared to a million years? There's no comparison. But we focus more on the 100 than we do the 1,000. We focus more on the 100 than we do the million, and we focus more on the 100 than we do eternity. But that's not enough. 
It's just not enough for most of us. Heaven is just not enough. We still have this life to deal with. So, I told you I like to use the word so. So, we need to have a realistic hope that doesn't gloss over trials. We need to have a realistic hope that doesn't gloss over trials, but anticipates them and has a plan for them. Jim Collins, in his book, A Good to Great, talks about the Stockdale Paradox. And Vice Admiral James Stockdale was a prisoner of war in Vietnam for seven years. If any of you have traveled anywhere near that part of the world, I've been to Cambodia. I know what Cambodia is like. I mean, it's the most ungodly, hot, humid place you've ever been. That's the picture. And I thought, wow, to be a prisoner of war for seven years, just in that environment, mosquitoes, they're the size of your arm. I mean, they're you know, huge. Hot, nasty, vile conditions. For four of those years he spent in solitary confinement. Two of those years he spent in leg irons. He would savagely beaten 15 times. But somehow, he miraculously came through it on the other side as being an incredible leader and an incredible influencer to other, other prisoners. Jim Collins said of his fellow comrades who were also prisoners aboard that they had this thing called naive optimism. And he said, naive optimism is the very thing that got them killed. For, for, for example, they would say, you know, by Christmas, by Christmas, we're going we're gonna to be home. By Christmas, we're going to be free. And they would rally the troops and, oh, we're going we're gonna to be home. And so they would, they would live their lives based on the hope that Christmas would be, the, would be the time, but Christmas would come and go and they'd still be confined and they'd be prisoners of war. So then they would set their date on Easter. If it were just, Easter, we're going to be free. Easter, we're going to be free. We just, gotta, we just gotta have hope until Easter. But Easter would come. And Easter would go and they wouldn't be free. He said, so eventually they gave up. And most of them died in camp. But he said, the ones who survived were different. He said they were different because they knew that eventually, eventually we're going to get out. We're going to get out. I know we're going to get out, but just not yet. Uh, eventually, we're going to get out, but it probably won't be soon. Like it's it probably not going to be Christmas. It, it may not be this year. It may not be next year. It may be several years. I, but the thing that we know is that eventually we will get out. But in the meantime, we're going to deal with the challenge. Looking forward to the day when we finally get out. He says, the Stockdale paradox, complete and utter confidence mixed with eyes open, with eyes open reality. James Stockdale goes on to say this. He said, this is a very important lesson. You must never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end, which you can't afford to lose, with the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever, whatever they might be. So here's what he's saying. You gotta set your hope and know it's gonna be tough. We gotta gather up all those things that are impeding our progress, and we have to set our hope. Now it's gonna get good. It's gonna get good. 
Let's go back to verse 13. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when, Je- when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. So he's talking about heaven, right? That's what he's talking about. He's talking about off in the future. It's not going to get any better now, but one day you'll walk down the streets of gold. That's not what he's talking about. And you're thinking, how do you know, big boy? I'll tell you. It's, it's the Greek tense. I read that this is a present participle, not a future tense. So here's the idea. The idea is that the inner strength, what you need to survive and thrive, is on the menu now. It's on the menu now. That as followers of Jesus, that no matter what we go through, we will never go through it alone. God said, I'll never leave you. I'll never never forsake you. I will be a friend that will stick closer than a brother. The one thing that we can guarantee is that the presence of God is with us no matter what we go through. And there's been times in my life when I've said, listen, the only thing that got me through what I've been through is the presence of God. I've told God, listen, if nothing changes for me, if, if this is my lot in life, if nothing else changes, then as long as I know I can feel your presence, then your presence is enough. Oh, y'all don't hear me. You got to live it, I guess, to understand it. His grace is given to you to sustain you in and through whatever difficulties that you're going through. Come on, somebody. So maybe you're here this morning. Well, I know somebody's here. Because God wouldn't have gave us a message for nobody. So if you're here this morning, you will say, you know what, I'm a follower of Jesus, but dude, I'm struggling, man. I'm struggling. I'm, I'm thinking, I got some stinking thinking, and, and I've been struggling, and I've been struggling with my thoughts, and I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm in a pit, and I don't know how to get out, and I just, would you please pray for me right now? I will. I will. Will you just raise your hand? I know. No, no heads bowed. Every eye looking around. I know. But would you be honest? You guys are awesome. Thank you for being honest. I want to pray for you. Lord Jesus, for folks that are struggling, Lord, they've been incredibly honest to say that they're struggling. Lord, will you show up right now in a miraculous way, in an amazing way? God, will you speak life into those folks that really, God, have been bombarded with negativity and death? Normal, God, is just not working. fitting in, Lord, just isn't working. And so, Lord, will you, will you, God, do something supernatural? Lord, again, I know for me, just your felt presence, to know that you're here, that I'm not alone. So, Lord, please, please, speak to the hearts of your people. Maybe you're here this morning, you're not a follower of Jesus. <laughs> you actually walked in here this morning realizing that fitting in and striving for normal just isn't working for you. Normal is bondage and fear and tension and sleepless nights and anxiety. And if that's you and you're sick and tired of normal, I want you to know that you don't have to live that way. You do not have to live that way. And I can't promise that everything's going to get better for you. I wish I could. I can't. But what I can promise is a relationship with a God that's incredible 
and he's crazy about you. I want you to know he's crazy about you. And he promised he would never leave your side. And then no matter what you go through, you won't go through it alone. And then he'll give you the strength to endure. If you're not a follower of Jesus, and you're tired of normal, and you're ready to fully surrender your life to Jesus, then, then pray a prayer, something like this, just quietly, silently, right there in your seat. Maybe you'd say something like this, Heavenly Father, take my life. Lord, I give it to you. I'm tired of normal. I'm tired of the hurt and the pain and the agony and the nastiness of normal. I believe in you, Jesus, and I can't thank you enough for your willingness to die on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin. And I believe that you're alive. I believe in the resurrection. And I'm asking you right now to forgive me. And to the best of my ability, I'm fully surrendering my life to you. Lord, you're awesome. Lord, allowing me, even this morning, allowing me, God, to feel your presence, God, and to be overwhelmed with you, your goodness. You are so good. You can't be anything else but good. We love you. It's in your sweet name that we pray.